Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the second season of His Dark Materials, which is on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. All these streaming services get so confusing, but that's where all the good stuff is. It really does feel that way. There were seven episodes, so again, not a really big time commitment. No. But they pack a lot into these episodes, because, I mean, they keep moving, so they don't feel tedious or whatever, but they feel like they've got a lot more content than a lot of other shows. Yeah, it was reminding me of the British series. Well, it's a British show. Yeah, but going with the seven packed episodes instead of 20 or 24 episodes where, frankly, you end up with some that feel like throwaways. Oh, yeah. In a lot of kind of American shows, you'd have 20 episodes, three of which were, well, we had to put something on the air. Yeah. One of which might have been a clip show, or felt that way. A holiday show. Or a bottle show where it's all you know on their set and they don't have to go anywhere to do anything. Yeah. Whereas here, I mean, they've, they've clearly spent some money on special effects. Mm-hmm. And, and scenery. And well done. Oh, and scenery, yeah. Some of the stuff they were showing near the end. Because most of the season is taking place on uh, a nexus world, for lack of any better term. When we thought the one guy from the Mysterium was going simply between two worlds, he was apparently stopping through this other world to get between the two, although that honestly really didn't seem to be the case. And what they were showing of his window there at like the end of the season doesn't feel like it really matches what we'd seen before, but not a big deal. But the scenery on some of that, both in terms of what I'm assuming is computer-generated visuals and stuff mm-hmm. like the city and all that. Beautiful. But then some of the stuff where we've got the waterfalls and all that, it seemed like they were filming that in Hawaii. Yeah. And just, again, some beautiful stuff. So, I mean, they've they found some very cool scenery. They spend a little time on the world we started on, but not a ton. I guess most of it there is where we're with the Mysterium and yeah. them kind of going after the kids and such. We spend a bit of time in, for lack of any term, the quote-unquote real world, and bouncing between them and stuff, it really, uh, I think the correct term is cutting between them. Yes, yes. Both in terms of the visual film metaphor of cuts, but then also when we get what, the sacred knife. Subtle. Subtle knife. That has the ability to to like slice the multiverse and open windows between them and such. Don't forget to close the window. And, and we literally cut between worlds that way. Yes. And some of that was uh, made for a very interesting kind of, I don't say a heist scene, but kind of. I found it hilarious when the kids were saying that, you know, the streets line up, the buildings line up, the basements line up. Yeah. It actually would have been really funny if that had been like an open meadow or something, and they were basically placing markers. Yes. And kind of, well, this is where the building is or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they told some interesting stuff. The way they had Will acquire the knife, a little, it wasn't gory, but it, it pushed a few buttons for me. They they kept most of that pretty much off screen, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. 
And they foreshadowed it. And they did. It was clear where this was going to go. It didn't make it any more to my liking. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, But when we got to that scene, I'm like, oh, yep, they let us know downstairs this was coming. Well, but also afterwards, the repercussions of it were something that other shows would have flaunted a bit more and stuff. Yes. And really would have turned me off. Yeah. And there's still other aspects of these worlds now that just boggle my mind. The specters that are introduced are not entirely clear. We get angels, which are very different than the demons we've gotten. Yes. We've got the the dust getting further explained and whatnot. We get a scholar introduced in the show. I love the scholar. She was really well used. Her interactions with Lyra were great. Mm-hmm. She's going off on her own journey here. And we also took a few characters, like Will's dad, that we really introduced this season. He's kind of written out of the story by the end. Lee Scoresby, he's kind of written out at the end. You know, Lee Scoresby really spent most of the two seasons on his own journey. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's something that, I mean, we're far enough in that it feels like you can kind of say, okay, that that's something this writer, and I think it's fair to say it probably came from the books, I'm assuming it came from the source material, to say this writer feels comfortable doing. To say, you know, Lee Scoresby can be on his own adventure that is supporting and tying into this adventure, but... It's orbiting Lyra's adventure, but not always integral to Lyra's adventure. Yeah. And I'm curious if some of these characters get bigger arcs in the books or not, because possibly some stuff was cut. I don't know how long the books are, but let's say two to three hundred pages. That's figure a page is more or less, you know, a minute of screen time. So that's six-ish hours of material. They've got seven or eight per season, so it's not like they've really got to cut things. I do hope that Lee Scoresby's relationship with Lyra was better established in the books. That's something I would look for. I thought the interplay when those two first met in the first season was good. But again, they did some stuff then that it's like, mm, it felt like we skipped over a reel of that relationship. Yes. Here, they're furthering that he feels like a, a surrogate father to her. And that was the part I, I felt they never really built up, but they played on it so much here. Yeah, I I feel like we skipped something between that really fun, for lack of a better term, meet cute yeah. in the saloon. And then during the journey, before we had Billy Coster's mm-hmm. funeral pyre, I think that's where we missed the real yeah, yeah. of the relationship developing. His, Lee Scoresby's devotion to Lyra and willing to go to such lengths for her mm-hmm. motivated a lot of his arc here. It set up Will's father's arc for the season and kind of dovetailed it in, mm-hmm. getting him where he needed to be to kind of do his part for the story and then exit the story. And there are certain characters that they fill a need after which we don't need to see them anymore. Mm-hmm. The the scholars from the university or whatever at the beginning of the show did their bit, and we don't need to focus on them anymore. The gypsums did their bit first season. We don't need to focus on them anymore. Mm-hmm. The armored bears, we got enough of this season that I expect to see something with them next season. Yes, yes. Because at the end of the season where we were cutting of where are we leaving all of our characters off, because mm-hmm. everyone's kind of scattered to the winds, Yeah, we, we got the bear, we got the new scholar, we got Will off on his own, 
Mm-hmm. We, we found the kind of the setup of the status quo for Lyra. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mrs. Coulter's status quo. And Mrs. Coulter's status quo. The one guy who set up, who'd been traveling between worlds mainly first season in this, he was written out of the story. Mm-hmm. So there's certain characters. It's like, yeah, we're not going to be following them anymore. We're setting up for a big battle next season. I feel like each book probably ends with a betrayal. Whether I agree with the fact it was a betrayal or not is up for debate. Well, I felt the end of this season, we see an encounter, we cut to the aftermath, and there was some explaining that needed to be done. I think there are basically two betrayals at that point, actually. Okay. Because Lyra's alone when that encounter happens. Yes. Lyra should not have been alone. Betrayal number one. Okay. Somebody got up and walked away and left her alone and defenseless. Yes. Well, I'm not sure if I would – I don't think it was an intentional betrayal. Exactly. And I think at the end of season one, there was no intentional betrayal. Yeah. Going back to do I agree with are these betrayals? The person who walked off was supposed to be told to protect Lyra. Yes. And wasn't. But had been told by Seraphina Pecola. The witch. Yeah. That that your fates are intertwined. Mm -hmm. You both need to look after the other. Yeah. So, I mean, that was set up, but the fact that that person met up with somebody that somebody had been told flat out, yep. tell this person that yep. they need to protect Lyra and didn't. Mm-hmm. So, I thought that was a betrayal of- Yes, the person you know, who told them to say that, yeah, definitely. Both of those characters are now off screen, so it's not like there can be any repercussions for that. Well, for them. I mean, obviously, there's some for Lyra. I had a lot of trust issues with the one who didn't deliver the message. Yes. There were times that person, and I don't want to give away who yeah, it yeah. is. I do think whether you read the books, whether you watch the show, it's it's a f- interesting story. I want to let others have the story unfold for them. Yes. And have them experience and enjoy it. It's one thing to know betrayals or yes. things are coming. It's another thing to know exactly what they are. Yeah. And there were a couple of characters that, I didn't trust. And there's one setup, and it really comes with Mrs. Coulter and her demon. I'm not 100% convinced that's what the relationship is. I'm not convinced that monkey is her demon. I can't figure out what's going on there. There's plenty of evidence that it is, but the way she treats it, she was willing to almost sacrifice it at one point. Yeah. They do not talk to each other. Yeah. They don't play by the same rules. Every other person and demon that we've encountered in this this narrative that they operate on. Yeah. And I can't imagine that's accidental because it is so pervasive. If if I don't understand it by the end of season three. And I'm assuming there's only a third season since there were only three books. Right. I don't know that for a fact, though. Right. And that's the boat I'm in. And I mean, it's kind of a every time we finish watching... Part of me is tempted to pick up the books and start reading, and then I'm like, no, I don't want to confuse the two continuities. Yeah. Yeah. So I keep holding off on reading, and I figure after we have watched all three seasons, I'll probably read the books, because I'm just so curious. Well, and we should coordinate reading the books, because I think it would be interesting to do episodes on the books in light of what we'd gotten out of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Where did they go the same? Where did they do different, either visually or that wasn't going to film anyways or thematically or whatever? Yeah. And I mean, in such a creative fantasy world, I can only imagine what's in the books that would be impossible to film. 
given the things like the angels and the specters that they managed to get on film. I'm curious how the specters are described in the book. Yeah. And I'm also curious how the cave from earlier in the season is mm. here is is described mm -hmm. and how those scenes kind of play out. Well, especially since the book was written in 97. Yeah. So just with all the technological changes. Yeah, that, that's one of those where knowing where computers were at back at that era and knowing where they're at now, that would have been so much science fiction then. Yeah. Compared to now, where I don't want to say it's science fact, but I think if somebody set their mind to it, they could pull off a hoax with today's technology. That's what I was thinking. That would be surprisingly believable to a degree. Yeah. I mean, using something like a, a chat GPT and, and claiming, oh, it's something from another reality. Yeah. That you're hearing the voice of, you know, give it a voice synthesis or whatever, and there's amazing technology in that area too. And then again, having a conversation or whatever. It's where science is at now, how science seems to be at now, and those are very different things. Mm-hmm. Compared to where science actually was at and where people thought science was going to go. Yeah. And that's one where when you take a book from decades in the past and it has any kind of science aspect to it and translate it to the modern TV, movie, streaming, whatever, you pretty much have to modernize certain things. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what the scene would have been like when Lyra was asking Will, what is that device you keep, you know, looking at. Yes, yes. And it was his smartphone. Yeah. And he's describing it as, it's how I get information, it's how I get this. And she said, oh, well, I have, I think she referred to uh, Pan as the demon or whatever. Yes. Yeah. How she gets all that. So, it, yeah, those sorts of modernizations uh, kind of have to happen. Yeah. Well, once I've read the books, I'm wondering if I'll better understand Mrs. Coulter and her demon's relationship, mm -hmm. or if I'll come out of the book saying, okay, now I want either a short story for Mrs. Coulter or a prequel for Mrs. Coulter. Well, and Mrs. Coulter is in the two-book prequel. Interesting. Which makes sense. And I mean- I think. I, from the, the premise I've read of those, it seemed like it's her and Azrael and how they met. And that makes sense. And I mean, on one hand, it's not fair to call her the big bad, but she is the ominous presence. She's the equivalent of the Wicked Witch. Yes. That's a good in one. so many ways, yet she's the hero of her own story mm -hmm. and carries herself that way. You know, one of the episodes that I positively loved was when she was in our world and she comes back from having met the scholar. Mm -hmm. And she realized, wow, women have opportunities here. Yeah. Yeah, because she was going how, in her world, any of her stuff that got published had to be under a man's name and- yeah, yeah. And the magisterium wouldn't let her receive a PhD. I'm curious if that sort of scene is also in the books. Yeah. But, you know, well, our mother got a master's degree in the 60s mm -hmm. so that she could get the same paycheck as people with a bachelor's degree. Yeah. Well, again, inequities abound. I, I don't know as a race that we'll ever get past that, but hopefully we will. And I think stories that present mm -hmm. the sanity of, of those inequities help us get there. It's interesting how certain characters, though, like Will's mom, mm -hmm. were there a bit at the beginning and then kind of gone. I mean, Will goes back home for a bit after he'd gone through the portal at the season break. But other than that quick trip home, 
she's she hasn't exited the story entirely, but she's not part of the story. We know her status quo and she's fine. So she's she's in a holding pattern. She's in a holding pattern such that at the end of the story, Will could go back to her, but I don't think has to. Yeah. In other words, if we don't see her, that's fine, but we could. Yeah. Where there are other people that it's like, yeah, I'd be shocked if we saw them again. Like, I was going to say the Gypsums, there's one or two others, although there was a little bit at the tail end of the season that made me think, well, one or two of the characters I thought we were done with, maybe yeah. we're not. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely think there's some twists waiting to happen in the third season, but I'm still, I'm really enjoying the ride of the show. Mm-hmm. And it's not one of those crazy roller coasters. There's twists, there's turns, there's all this. It's a, I don't say a straightforward narrative because it's not. It's not one that's jarring, though, like a roller coaster can be. One of the things I really enjoyed for Lyra was when she's on her mission. She's trying to figure out dust. She knows what she's all about. And she kind of loses sight of, I'm supposed to be helping Will. And she has that that kind of revelation moment of, oh, wait, my mission can't be my one and only focus. Are you thinking like when she realizes the time and, oh, I'm late? Because to me, that was that was telegraphed. That had to happen. There was that. But then it was it was shortly after that mm-hmm. where he's freaking out and then she loses the alethiometer. Yeah. And then she realizes, but I needed that to help him. I yeah. have to help him. Yeah. They have, Will and and Lyra have, I was going to say competing agendas, but that's not true. They have different goals, aims, directions that are orbiting each other, but not always in parallel, but they're never in opposition. Yeah, but it's that moment when she suddenly realizes she got so caught up in her own stuff that she put his at risk without even meaning to. Yeah, I'm going to be curious in the books. If the first book is her book, the second book Mm. is his book, whose is the third or not? Mm -hmm. Because it almost feels like there could have been a parallel arc to first season, which they kind of did part of it in first season with his backstory and all of that. But it's not like he had half of the first season and then their two co-leads this season, which they were. Mm -hmm. She was very much the lead of the first season. Yes, yes. He was being set up. Yeah. But definitely in a secondary role. Well, the first season was all about the alethiometer, mm-hmm. which was hers. Second season is all about the cell knife, which is yeah. his. Okay, so third season is called the Amber Spyglass, based on the book. And so it feels like we set up the scholar. The scholar definitely seems to be the one who could be entering the story for that. It seems like there needs to be a third character yeah. to have that. I mean, it seems like one person, one artifact. Yes. I just don't know if the scholar. Scholar seems like the most likely choice, though. I'm just not convinced it would be her. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I do like how they updated the opening sequence credit stuff very subtly in some places. Mm-hmm. There's some very clear new imagery, but other parts, of the way, that's more or less what we saw. Oh, wait, that's a little different and stuff. Yeah. I'd love to kind of take the two side by side and compare them. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what they changed and stuff. And I like how it gives cryptic enough hints of what's coming up later that when you've seen later things and then watch the next opening, which is the same opening as before, and it's, oh, now I recognize that. Yeah. Here's, like, the waterfall stuff. Yes. We finally got that here at the end. Yeah. You know? And it's not something that spoils the story or gives it away, but it it does show a 
cohesiveness of, of thought, of pre-planning. Mm-hmm. Again, much like how Good Omens, I think, had done a similar thing. Honestly, I think this does a better job. Yeah. I, I love it when they have premeditative aspects of the story mm. versus some writers and some shows clearly can't do that because at the beginning of the season, they have no idea how they're going to end it. Yeah. Now, granted, seven, eight episodes a season, much easier to do this, <laughs> Yeah, but still, they did it. Yeah. So I'm enjoying this. Some of the new characters we got entered and exited the story, and that's fine. I don't know, like the kids we saw in the Nexus world, I don't know any of them. It's like that I'd be clamoring for to have next season. Mm-mm. But it does look like the cast has shrunk a bit. Yeah. Well, we do have like the scholars and new entry and stuff. And it looks like we may have a darker tone or at least undertone next season with the impending war. Yeah. And I'm curious if demons, angels, the kind of heaven and hell terminology and and references and stuff, if that's played up more in the the books or not, or will played up more here. I was wondering that too. Yeah. So, and do we get to the point where Lyra has aged enough that Mm. she changes and Pan stops changing? Yeah. And if so, what is Pan's final form? Yeah. Because that almost seems like the thing that may happen at like the end of the story. Yeah. Because that might be the right spot to, it's like, okay, this the story is has reached a natural pausing or stopping point. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think what else has to happen for this to feel like, okay, not that it's run its course, but it's not leaving me empty and, and incomplete. Mm-hmm. I hate it when some stories, it's like, well, we didn't get another season, so we're stopping here. Yeah. You know, or, or other books get to the point where the writer thinks they've done, but th- They've forgotten to close off certain story loops. And it's like, you know, again, if we don't get Mrs. Coulter and the Demon, then what the hell's up with that? I'm going to be a little happy. Yeah. You know, if we don't get closure with Lord Azrael and stuff, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And I'm, I, I've got to imagine we will. Now, he was in this for- One scene. I was going to say, if if he was slow, he worked for an afternoon <laughs> this season. Yeah. And that includes, you know, makeup, lighting- uh, because, yeah, everything else, uh, he could have just filmed it on almost any green screen location and done the voiceover. Did a good job. Yeah, yeah. But but it was getting to the end. It's like, I think that's his voice. But, you know, we haven't seen him all season. Mm-hmm. That's who we were chasing after, too. So He's a hard man to catch. Yeah, but if he's not front and center next season to a much larger degree, now granted, having him in two scenes would count for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It does seem like where we leave off and what his scene is this season, that he needs to play a bigger part in the third season. Yeah. And if he's not in most episodes, and if his impact isn't felt most episodes, something's wrong. I think it'll be his impact. I think so. I think so. But he needs to show up for more than he did this time, possibly even more than he did first season. But we'll see where they go. I just want enough of a resetting of the scene at the beginning of the season to kind of explain how Lyra's status quo kind of changed the way we've seen. Yes. Because that's that 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 seemed a little abrupt. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna know precisely where she is. I wonder how she exactly got there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I also want us to not spend too much time reuniting the band. <laughs> yeah. Because again, pretty much everyone's scattered. Yeah. So they they've got some work to do. And again, I'm curious because as 
we record this, third season hasn't quite finished. I don't know if there will be a clear messaging of there's not going to be a fourth season. Mm-hmm. It's not like he can go on the internet and check anymore because there'll be a thousand articles on is his dark material going to get a fourth season? Click here and find out. Oh, well, there's many things that are involved. And yes, yes. Some of these articles are such wastes of time. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a couple for shows like, you know, will Stargate SG-1 get an 11th season? Being written in, in the current day kind of a thing. And the show's been over for how long? Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. It's over. They may start a new version or whatever. But yeah. to, to play the game of, of you know. Clickbaiting? Yeah. It's annoying. Any other highlights or things you want to comment on for this season? Daphne Keen is playing Lyra. Yes, and, and doing a brilliant job. Yeah. The character Lyra has daddy issues. No doubt about it. Oh, yeah. But it did amuse me when I finally realized that Daphne Keen's real-life father is playing the Cardinal. Yes. So, the actress probably has daddy issues on the show, too. Different daddy issues, but I'm sure that's got to make for a wild interview if you ever got the two of them to sit down for the same one. I know, right? Okay, so you're the hero of the story, and your character is vowing to have her destroyed. Yes. You're the father? Yes. What is dinner time like in your household? <laughs> yeah. Both are doing a great job. They are. Yeah. Honestly, as good of a job as, as the father's doing, you, you could have cast somebody else and it wouldn't have made a big difference. Yeah. But she has so much of the story on her as kind of the chosen one that they got really, I think, I'm going to say lucky, but maybe a skilled uh, casting or whatever. They picked the right person. She's doing a terrific job. She really sells the compassionate scenes. The compassionate you can see the wheels turning yeah. at times, and she's really gifted, yeah. and I'm curious what she's going to do next, and what, if, if we were to look back, you know, 30, 40 years from now at her career, what becomes that defining role for her? Yeah. Because I think this is definitely going to launch her career, and it's a question of, does she do movies, TV, mm. you know, what does she do after this, and does she have something that makes a big impact, but it's a movie? Or does she do another series that runs for 10 years or something like that? Yeah. Or, because we've seen a few other people that I think did terrific jobs, and it's, yeah, and they never really did much after that. Yeah. I don't think that'll be the case here. I hope it's not. She's doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. She's really a joy to watch in a lot of these scenes. Mm -hmm. And as you said, watching the gears turn, the, the scene on the rooftop where someone is coming at her to attack her, and she's apologizing. Yeah. It's like, I know what's motivating you. I'm sorry about that. And yeah, yeah, she's she's doing very well in this. And I'm curious what sort of roles she'll be drawn to moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and I had to laugh when they had the scene where she was walking up the stairs backwards mm. because Will was in the bathtub. That yes, was just it was a nice callback to the, the first season. It was. I, I like it when they do that sort of a thing and it. It shows that the characters are aware of their history. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that really sold me on Stargate SG-1 early on, is there were a couple of scenes, in the, like Daniel Jackson and Jack O'Neill are walking down the hall, and that's like the craziest thing I've ever seen or heard of or whatever. And the other one's like, really? More crazy than this or that or this or that or that and this? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. You know? yeah. And just, you know, when you've got characters that 
remember their events in a, a way like you would when you're hanging with your friends or your coworkers or whatever. Now, as I recall, uh, SG-1, wasn't that where they needed to figure out if the uh, Stargate was still open on the other side? So they threw a box of Kleenex through. Box of tissues because the other guy on the other side had allergies. Yeah, and it came back through empty with a sharpie. Thanks, send more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was also the show where they would get to the point where they'd have the meeting room, they'd have the, the, the here's what's going on. Somebody would say, comment, and you'd get really good reaction shots. Yes. It's like, oh no, not again, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that takes trust in the cast. It takes good writing. Here, they've got a good cast, and there are times where the writing really plays to that. Yeah. You know? So, the other thing on the writing is all of the first season was done by the one guy. Mm-hmm. Jack Thorne. He did a lot of the episodes here, but also had co-writers for a number of them. Yeah. And I think there was one that he wasn't on at all. Interesting, yeah. But he did the finale, so I don't know if he just has other stuff that was taking up some of his time. I don't know what percentage he did or didn't do here. And I'm curious how that goes next season. I do think having a singular writer and a singular voice can really focus a story. Mm-hmm. But I also think if you do that, and even if you've got more so if you've got multiple writers, having somebody who's story editing, who is pushing back on the, I know you think it's great, but I was a little lost here. Fix that. Yeah. You know, so I see this so much in comics where you've got, like even somebody who's doing the writing and the art is singular vision for the whole thing. It's unified. But it can be perplexing as hell sometimes because they know the story. They just don't always tell it. Yeah. And they've done a a good job here of of conveying that. So I was surprised when we started seeing other writers. At one point when I was doing the PA work on TV and films, I read through a script and I went to the uh, continuity person and just casually pointed them out. I'm like, so uh, this character who's uh, never met this person before just greets them by first name, just so you know. And they're like, oh, uh, thank you. In college, I wrote a, a spec script for Star Trek The Next Generation. I had some some friends read it, and one of them pointed out, okay, at this point, Worf is in two places at the same time. Yeah. it's like, Oh, yeah. He shouldn't be doing that. Easy to have happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But second set of eyes. Makes yeah. Makes a lot of sense to have that. And I think the writing in the show, they've, they've put that attention to it. Yeah. Well, when Mrs. Coulter is wandering around the Nexus world, just, you know, Casually seeing what there is, and then later when she and Carlo sit down to have drinks. And it's like, oh, yeah, they they played fair. Yep. Played fair without telegraphing. Yeah. And that's such a hard line to walk. Yeah. I, I don't think we've had anything in this series where it just came completely out of nowhere, out of left field. It's usually been, a, okay, I, I see where they set that up. I didn't catch it at the time, but I, I see it in hindsight now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the way things should be. It should feel mm-hmm. you should have caught that. Yeah. But not, oh, yeah, of course I caught that. I mean, there was the one or two places where it's like, okay, she's going to lose track of time here. Yes. They're going to diverge at this point. This is just storytelling 101 kind yeah, of deal. Yeah, yeah. But not in a, you've, you've telegraphed key plot points that are unique to your story. Yeah. So, again, I'm enjoying it. We're going to have to wait just a little before starting third season so we can- Finish it in uh, two sittings or something, maybe. And then we'll be back to, to talk about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Same here. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. 
The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.